Welcome to the Pulse of the Prairies podcast, brought to you by Saskatchewan Pulse Growers. Here we share information about farm practices, pulse markets, research outcomes, market development efforts, and much, much more. My name is Sherry Lynn Phelps, and I'm the Director of Research and Development with SPG. Today is my pleasure to chat with Megan Reed and Michael Brown, both new agronomy managers with SPG. Our discussion will cover minor pulse crops and what Saskatchewan producers need to know about them. Thanks so much for taking the time to join me today. So Megan, what are minor crops? Which pulse crops are we referring to and what makes them minor compared to other pulse crops like lentils and peas? Hi, Sherilyn. Yeah, so thank you for having me on here today. And to answer your questions, the majority of pulse production in Saskatchewan is either in peas or lentils, like you said. And so minor pulse crops are those pulses that do not have a similar acreage or adoption as peas and lentils. So they're grown on a smaller scale and can be geographically adapted to certain parts of the province. These crops include faba bean, soybean, chickpeas, dry beans, and fenugreek. So for some context, in 2022, there were approximately 3.9 million acres of lentils grown in Saskatchewan and 1.7 million acres of peas. Whereas minor crops like chickpea were grown on roughly 200,000 acres. And similarly, there were only 30,000 acres of soybeans and 27,000 acres of faba beans, which is why we classify them as minor acre pulses. You mentioned chickpeas. What makes chickpea an option for growers in our province? And I'm going to turn that over to Mike. Uh, yeah, so chickpeas are an option in our, our brown and dark brown soil zones. They'll do well on, on drained, lighter texture soil, neutral pH, and growing season rainfall in that uh, 6 to 10 inch range. Um, we have two market classes that are grown in, in Saskatchewan here. We've got the Desi class and the Kabuli class. And in 2022, we had uh, 202,000 acres seeded to chickpea with 181,000 of those in, in the Kabuli class. So the Kabulis take most of our acres up in the province in the chickpeas. Um, not well suited to heavier clay soils, saline soils, uh, water logging, or slow, slow to warm soils in the spring. They're a relatively heat tolerant plant. So under good soil moisture conditions, they'll thrive in, in your daytime temperatures in that 21 to 29 degrees Celsius. And they do like it warmer in the nighttime temperatures in that 18 to 21 range. We'll see temperatures above 30 degrees Celsius, like many other crops. They're going to see heat stress and then can lead to flower or uh, pot abortion. Maturity is going to be another factor when you're choosing whether or not to be growing chickpeas. The data maturity range is 100 to 130 days, depending on your market class, your variety and your environmental conditions. Uh, our desis, you're going to have a little bit early maturity compared to the kabulis. And both of these market classes are an indeterminate crop, so they're going to keep flowering until they get some type of stressor to uh, induce maturity. But the kabulis are are more strongly indeterminate. So if you if we get into a uh, a cooler or a wetter fall, we can see maturity extending past 130 days. So there's that risk of uh, locking in some green and in, in those types of conditions. A few of our newer varieties that we've released. So there are some uh, some that have recently come out in both the Kabuli and the Desi categories, and they offer a uh, herbicide tolerance trait to the Amazmox chemistry. And then when we're starting to discuss some of the the disease risk with it, there's Ascochyta blight, and any of the chickpea producers that are listening to this are going to know for sure about the Ascochyta blight, an extremely aggressive disease in chickpea, and can spread through the field quite quickly. 
our recommendation when we test our seed lots for seedborne ascochyta is uh, is 0.3 percent, and anything above that, we're we're recommending not to use the seed for planting. So very low threshold on ascochyta. Uh, chickpeas can be an option in areas with uh, athanomyces risk as they are considered moderately resistant and will only produce a few oospores in the soil. Okay, well, thanks, Mike. So from what you're saying, it sounds like with the later maturity, it's no wonder that chickpeas are typically grown more in the southern, southwest corner of the province where we have longer days to maturity. We're going to move on to faba beans. So we mentioned chickpeas. Um, let's talk more about faba beans. You know, we've seen faba beans increasing initially, and then acres sort of leveled off. I'm I'm kind of curious why adoption has been slow. What have been the reasons growers don't produce faba beans on the same scale as other pulses? And I'll pass that off to Megan. Yeah, okay. So faba beans are a really exciting and unique crop for Saskatchewan producers. And they became popular in the wake of the Aphanomyces infections in pea and lentil in 2012, roughly 2012. And some of the limitations that have hindered faba bean adoption has largely been access to marketing opportunities. So faba beans are an excellent source of really high quality protein, which makes them a really great option for livestock feed and also has a lot of potential for the human consumption market as well. Some of the first popular faba bean varieties were high in tannins, and so tannins are anti-nutritional factors for livestock, and we saw the market shift to low tannin varieties, which in turn resulted in increased incorporation of that really good quality faba bean protein in livestock feeds and increased marketing opportunities for our growers. Some of the other limitations, though, have also been the presence of other anti-nutritional compounds called visine and convisine. Large seed size, faba beans are known for quite a large seed size, and also a lack of local processing and fractionation facilities in the province. So to dig into it a little bit more, visine and convisine compounds are an issue because they can cause favism or the rapid onset of anemia in a small percentage of humans that carry a specific genetic defect. This made food manufacturers leery to include faba bean as an ingredient in food products and really limited growers into that market specifically from selling into our uh, human food products. Faba bean protein and starch derivatives have enormous potential as ingredients in foods, particularly for soy and dairy alternative markets. And so when we look at the current state of, of where our faba bean markets are at and, and breeding, we have this year, a release of seven new low visine and convisine varieties, which also have smaller seed size varieties on the market. And the addition of faba bean fractionation and processing facilities really taking off in the province. I, in my opinion, the glass ceiling has really been shattered for the future production of faba bean acres, which is great news for our growers because it offers a lot more opportunity. And I'm hoping to see the ramp up of faba bean acres going forward. Great, thanks, Megan. So we've we've talked a bit about um, faba beans and and some of the issues with you know uptake from a grower's perspective, but also from a processor's perspective. And and now that those issues seems to be being addressed, um, the future for faba beans looks fairly positive. And um, I'd like to kind of ask you some questions about you know growers who maybe have tried faba but but it just wasn't working out for them at that time due to some market restrictions. 
conditions or inability to sell the crop, now is the time to maybe be considering fava beans. So what would be, you know, if a grower was looking at um, alternative and pulse crops such as fava beans, what are some things that they should consider? Yeah, so we talked a lot about, like you said, the limitations or what was holding fava beans back. And now that we've we've got these new varieties coming out, there's seven varieties hitting the market that are LVC or low vising, convising. The glass ceilings kind of shattered for fava bean production in the province. And so one of the biggest draws for fava bean adoption has been that they are very resistant to aphanomyces root rot. And Coupled with that, they are best suited to black, dark brown, even up into the gray wooded soil zones where it's cooler temperate conditions, high moisture. They can handle um, flooded soils, uh, saturated soils really, really well. They also have a nice big root system and are extremely good nitrogen fixers. So faba beans are unique in that they are the best nitrogen fixing pulse crop that we currently have in the market and can fix up to 80% of their nitrogen requirements from atmospheric biological nitrogen fixation. And so when you look at all of these factors together, fava beans are a really great option, particularly for our growers in northern Saskatchewan, north central Saskatchewan, who are really, really struggling with root rot. Peas have not been <laughs> not been a great option when we we've had aphanomyces coming onto the the scene they get wet feet and they're really susceptible to aphanomyces so having faba bean as that option allows growers to keep pulses in rotation and gives them a really nice break in some of the disease cycles that we're seeing um, there are some unique diseases particularly to faba bean but really the pressure is intermittent it there's fairly low infection rates or susceptibility across from season to season and so there's relatively little risk from a production standpoint in high moisture areas that we see posing much greater risk in other pulses like peas or lentils um, and so if a grower was considering you know keeping a pulse in rotation now that we have these you know markets coming on side and new varieties hitting the market particularly something like cdc 1089 faba beans are a really good opportunity for grower to keep that pulse in and start to really manage from an integrative perspective their phanomyces root rot and other pest cycles that they have in pulse crops on their farm. Well, thanks, Megan. That's great information on, on faba beans. Um, let's talk about another minor crop, and that's soybeans. So this is an, another one that often comes up in conversation. Um, what would be the considerations regarding soybeans in Saskatchewan? So soybeans are one of my favorite pulse crops, actually. Um, I, I really am excited or passionate about soybean production. And one of the disappointing things is that they've been a little bit tricky to grow, particularly with the dry conditions we've had in Saskatchewan the last couple of years. That drought really um, kind of cramped our style in soybean production. So when a grower is considering soybeans, the first thing they want to think about is what the climate is in their growing region. Soybeans are a moisture and heat loving crop and they have a particularly high moisture requirement later in season as they approach pod fill, typically at the end of July and into August. For this reason, adoption has really been limited to areas of the province that have high moisture, like the southeast corner down by Estevan. Another consideration when we talk about climate is temperature and growing degree days or heat units. Many of the older varieties that were released into Western Canada at the peak of soybean production in 2017 had heat units ranging from 2200 to 2500 heat units. For context, the average heat units in Saskatchewan last year in 2022 ranged from about 1900 to 2500 heat units, depending on location. 
Those longer maturing varieties pose challenges because early fall frost damage can cause green, shriveled seeds, lower yields, and low seed protein. So as a result, lots of the soybean companies that are breeding and making progress in soybean variety release have made a concerted effort to breed shorter season varieties and are releasing 20 new varieties this year that fall within our heat range that we typically see in Saskatchewan. And those varieties are classified as either triple zero or low double zero maturity ratings. Some other things to consider when looking at soybeans as an option for your pulse rotation would be that they offer rotational benefits such as lower fertility requirements, they dis- it is a disruption in common disease cycles that we see on farm, and they also offer the opportunity to utilize different herbicide and fungicide groups. They are very cold and frost sensitive, so they do need to be seeded into warm soil, so 10 degrees or warmer for optimal establishment, so seeding at the end of May is really ideal. Another thing to consider or remember is that soybeans need to be rolled as close to seeding as possible or on a hot day after emergence when the bean stalks are flexible. Otherwise, they'll break under the roller if it's too cold. When it's nice and warm out, the plants can bounce back really easily. Rolling along with targeting higher seeding rates can also increase the height of pods set above the soil. So that'll make it easier for the combine to really capture all of the pods and the seeds when it comes to harvest. There's considerations as far as inoculating. We need to inoculate those soybeans. If a grower hasn't grown soybeans consistently over the last number of years or at all, it's recommended to double inoculate to ensure that nodulation occurs. And I spoke about briefly about herbicide options before, but when we have pea and lentil acres, we are dealing with hard to kill weeds like kochia, cleavers, Um, and other herbicide-resistant weed populations. And so soybeans actually offer a unique herbicide option where they have Roundup Ready to extend Enlist E3 and Roundup Ready Extend Flex systems that include different combinations of glyphosate, glufosinate, dicamba, and 2,4-D-tolerant herbicide soybeans, which gives us some additional options, particularly when it comes to those kosher-producing areas. Another great thing about soybeans is they're a non-host crop for Aphanomyces root rot, and so it can be a great way to incorporate a pulse and rotation that doesn't contribute to building root rot inoculum in the soil. Another good point for soybean varieties is that they're also stacked with genetics that address other concerns in soybean production, such as iron deficiency chlorosis, phytophthora, and soybean cyst nematode resistance. And new varieties are also being bred for drought tolerance, and to set higher protein content in our early maturing soybeans, because that has been an issue in the past, that our early season varieties don't set high enough protein, but that is something that soybean companies have been working on. And lastly, soybeans can offset some of the workload at peak times throughout the growing season. So this is also a good point when you're considering growing them. They require warmer soil temperatures, so you can seed later in the spring. And you can also let them stand at the end of harvest because they're not as sensitive to pod drop as other pulse crops. Thanks, Megan. That was a lot of information about soybeans and and great information for growers that are looking to put the crop in this year or considering uh, what varieties to to, uh, select going forward. I'm going to switch gears here and Mike, this is going to be a question for you. We've talked about faba beans and soybeans and chickpeas. We're going to move on to dry beans. Which market classes should we be looking at with dry beans? Um, Yes, so dry beans we have... uh... We have many market classes available that can be grown in Saskatchewan. So we have registered varieties in in the black, pinto, navy, small, red, yellow, and Florida Junio classes. We also have pedigreed seed producers in the province who grow black, yellow, and navy classes for commercial production. And in 2022, we had 7,200 acres seeded to dry bean in the province. 
most of our varieties that uh, are available for commercial production in the province are, are going to be a type 2, which is what we would uh, call an indeterminate bush growth habit. So you're looking for uh, 10 to 12 nodes and about three to four branches on that plant. Um, although when we think historically about bean production, we're we're thinking of you know wide row, fifteen to thirty inch production systems using planters, um, something we might think of in the Red River Valley or or northern United States. Um, but we do have the ability here in Saskatchewan to produce on a narrow row you know, nine to 12 inch row spacings with conventional air seeders. Um, but one thing to keep in mind with that is is the handling of the seeds. So they are relatively fragile, especially if they're dry. And we could see some seed coat breakage that could lead, lead to uh, some, some mortality in the field. And that's something to keep in mind if we're going to use an air seeder that uh, we want to just keep the fan speed just high enough so that we're not seeing any plugged runs. Two of the big drivers for dry bean production are, are going to be temperature and moisture. So the cotyledons emerge above ground. So we're going to see risk of early season frost and then as well late season frost. If that plant's not mature yet, we could lock in some green seed. Uh, moisture stress at flowering and pod fill is another big one. So that can cause um, pretty severe yield loss. So this makes them better suited to fields under irrigation. But if you're going to be going in dry land, that thin black soil zone would be best. On, uh, on in terms of soil type, so they prefer to sit on a medium textured loam, high residual fertility, low salinity, um, like lots of crops. That's a, an excellent soil type to be on. Um, they're not great nodulators, though. So adding some supplemental nitrogen is, you know, a normal practice with some beans. When we're looking for you know, handling and, and harvest, our target seed moisture is going to be in that 14 to 16 percent range. When we start to get drier into that 12 to 10 percent seed moisture range, that's when you're really going to start seeing increased risks of mechanical damage. A piece of equipment that that we would say would be probably recommended for handling beans in in those drier, uh, you know, drier temperature seed moisture contents would be a belt conveyor. Um, safer for beans compared to uh, a conventional flighted auger. When uh, when you've got that belt conveyor, now you're pushing it up to the top of a you know 40 to 60 foot bin, and that's a pretty far drop for that bean. So incorporating something like a bean ladder inside your bins may also help reduce mechanical damage. Uh, as well, those uh, those bean ladders could be used with other pulse crops too. So anything that's at risk of seed coat cracking or chipping could help prevent that. If uh, you know you've got a rotation where you're out of beans for for a year and you have other crops that uh, need some some safe handling. For harvest on the beans, there's a few options. So there's the undercutting option, we have the swathing, and then we have straight combining. All three of those options are going to have their own uh, pros and cons with undercutting having some uh, you know, specialized equipment required. And then in terms of the phanomyces for the uh, for the dry beans, it's all depending on variety there. They're, they're totally resistant. Like we mentioned with the chickpeas previously, they can be a a bit of a host, but they're only going to produce a few oospores and, and symptoms will be variable depending on variety. Thanks, Mike. Um, now we're going to move on to a much smaller acre crop, and that is fenugreek. Fenugreek is typically known as a spice crop, but it's also characterized as a legume under our mandate here at SPG. Uh, Mike, can you tell us what makes fenugreek a consideration for crop rotation in Saskatchewan? 
So like you mentioned, it's a legume. Um, a little bit kind of more on, on what it is, is self-pollinated, small-seeded, and, and another name for it people may have heard of is Greek hay, but it's grown around the world. So we see a majority of the seed production occurring in India, Ethiopia, Egypt, and Turkey. And it's not necessarily new to uh, Western Canada. It was first grown in the early 90s. I believe the first cultivar was released in 1992. Um, but you were right, it's, it's a smaller acre crop in the province here. We saw roughly about 2,400 acres in 2022. And there are many uses uh, for fenugreek. So it's got uh, the ability to be used as a herb, as a spice, flavoring, uh, a vegetable. It can be grown as a forage for animal feed. Um, there's medicinal properties, pharmaceutical uses, as a health food ingredient, and as well in industrial applications. So there's lots on the go for Fendi Greek, but the market is small. So it's important to discuss with a buyer to, to understand the opportunities for growing it and, and the potential market access for it. Um, like mentioned previously, kind of with the, the dry beans and the chickpeas too. So Fendi Greek is an, an indeterminate growth habit. Um, and also has a quite a long maturity. So you're looking in that 105 to 140 day range. So that does make it best adapted to Southern Saskatchewan where you're gonna see some of that, uh, that drought for the crop to kind of finish off. Uh, a cool wet fall, you're gonna delay maturity. And then, yeah, we run into that risk of freezing for that immature seed and locking in the grain. So fenugreek is relatively heat tolerant too, um, but not resistant to severe drought. So it has a, a strong tap root to get to that deeper subsoil moisture, but in, in a dryer, you can expect to see some lower yields. Um, it does well with warm temperatures and good moisture, and it'll, it'll thrive in uh, uh, a full sun, well-drained soils in a, a pretty wide pH range in that 5.3 to 8.2. And then, uh, ambient temperatures of 8 to 27 degrees Celsius, but uh, it's not very tolerant of cooler temperatures, so it's not going to like anything really below that 8 degrees Celsius. Currently, we have five cultivars that have been released in Canada, and one of them is, uh, is a forage variety. And when we're looking at targeting plant stands for this, you're going to look for about 12 plants per square foot, and you're putting it down at about an inch to an inch and a half depth. Right now, we don't have any commercial inoculants available, so recommendations going to be basically what we would say with the dry beans is to fertilize with a little bit of supplemental nitrogen. But we are having some work that's being done to identify some of the best strains for fenugreek inoculant. Um, and then when we talk about aphanomyces for, for fenugreek, it's, uh, it fits in right there with the soybeans. So it's a non-host crop, and it's a good option in, uh, in those areas where you wanna keep a legume in rotation. Okay, well, thanks, Mike. Um, lupins is our next crop on the list here, and, and they're not really growing currently in Saskatchewan. Uh, Megan, could you shed some light on whether this pulse crop is something that is worth looking at? Yeah, absolutely. So lupin in particular has been getting a lot of attention this winter as growers are looking for other pulse crop options that are non-host or resistant to aphanomyces root rot, like Mike has already said. Uh, lupin in particular is a non-host crop and it is particularly of interest because it is a moisture loving pulse crop and it could be adapted to areas of the province that are really struggling with root rots and peas and lentils, in particular northwestern, north central Saskatchewan. Um, and because it is best to the black and dark brown soil zones, it has serious potential for growth in the northern half of the province. 
One watch out, however, with lupin production is that lupins are really sensitive to soil pH. And so they prefer soils at or below a pH of 7.2, which could limit some of the production areas that we have for lupin, but all in all, they are a really attractive option. One of the additional factors that make lupin really appealing is that they're high in protein, relatively high in fat, and have a low carbohydrate content. And those parameters mean that they are really useful as a substitute for soybean feed ingredients and have a lot of potential as bioindustrial applications into the human consumption market. There are some challenges with this in processing and logistics, however, which do need to be figured out. There are some wrinkles that need to be addressed, but all in all, they are really great option for a future pulse crop or potential for Saskatchewan growers. Currently, there are two types of lupin being grown or tested for growth and adaptation in Western Canada, and those include sweet white lupin and narrow leaf blue lupin. And there are some slight differences to each of them. So narrow leaf blue lupin is more similar to faba beans. So it prefers a cooler season, a more temperate production area, is high moisture loving as well, and has a similar maturity rating of 110 to 120 days. And it actually is more sensitive to soil pH. So the maximum pH that it can really tolerate is 7.2. White lupin, however, is more similar to soybean. So it also loves a lot of moisture, but it also prefers higher temperatures compared to the narrow leaf blue lupin and has a longer maturity of 120 to 130 days or more, but it can tolerate slightly higher pHs of 7.8. So lots of attractive things with lupin and there's currently a lot of work and investigation going into adapting lupins, uh, a blue lupin and white lupin for production in the province. Thanks, Megan. That helps us understand kind of the lupins and, and where the, the lupins might be most suited to in Saskatchewan if they are something that's going to start showing up on our landscapes. Um, so now, we, you know, we've talked a lot about the different uh, minor pulse crops. And I'm just wondering, have we covered all the different sort of minor pulse crops or types out there? And, and Megan, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, so... As far as pulse crop production goes in the province, there are so many that are already included under our mandate, but there are so many more that we haven't even addressed or looked at or talked about today. So the future is really exciting. There's a lot of ongoing research looking at adapting fenugreek and lupin for the province. And so SPG in particular has funded small plot research looking at seeding rates, seeding dates, seed treatment registration, and growing region suitability, as well as we're doing some field scale work on fertility, seeding rates, and production of product evaluations in faba beans and dry beans. When it comes to other pulse crops outside our mandate, though, researchers are looking at pulses like cowpea, mung bean, adzuki bean, and temporary bean for potential adaptation to Western Canada. And one of the biggest factors driving alternative and minor pulse crop research is that need for root rot management strategies. Minor pulses play a key role in our integrated pest management practices, particularly when it comes to root rot identification of genes and breaking up that disease cycle and looking for options to prevent inoculum buildup in the soil, but also for disrupting all pulse disease cycles. So introducing or looking at other pulse crops can break up some of these other disease cycles we're really struggling with, and pest cycles in particular with kochia, anthracnose, ascochyta, and other pests that we're seeing across our more mainstream or larger acre pulses. And in addition, adopting minor pulse crops can help diversify crop rotations that really offer unique marketing and value-added opportunities for our growers. Well, thanks, Megan and Michael. That was a lot of great information on on minor pulse crops uh, 
in Saskatchewan, and that all feeds into our goal of having alternative pulses for growers within Saskatchewan. So I think this is all the time and questions that we have today. Thank you again for sharing your expertise with us. For more detailed information on minor pulse crops, please visit our website at saskpulse.com. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss upcoming episodes. To stay up to date with SPG, you can subscribe to our mailing list on our website. We send regular updates, keeping you informed on global markets, new technologies, and trends in pulse production. Thank you for tuning into the Pulse of the Prairies podcast. <laughs>